0: How you doing? Good, good, man. What a bizarre thing to be in this room. I miss the theater, but we will be back there in the month of May. But um, being that we are in this size of room, can I ask for a favor? Can you guys just like help me out a little extra tonight? Maybe just give me a little bit more chatter, a little bit more, you know, yeah, that was right, that was wrong, you know, we can take it up after the service, we can debate, yeah, that's great. Uh, I, would, I would appreciate all the help tonight I can get. Um, we are in week three of our series, We Are NLYA. We're talking about the things that we are dreaming to become and what we're aiming to be. And so today we're talking about discipleship and man, I am ready to preach about discipleship tonight. I am so pumped. Here's our value, it's our core value that's called focused discipleship. Our phrase is, we address the issues facing young adults with biblical truth and grace. So week one, I talked about kind of the spirit of how we're going to address the things that young adults are facing, but as you can tell, it's it's called focused discipleship. It's implying that it's a portion of something bigger, and that bigger thing is discipleship itself. We're going to focus on discipleship here in the years that you guys are living but uh it's a portion of discipleship in general so i'm ready to dive in let me just pray as we get started father i'm asking for you to continue to work man your presence is here you've already been moving you've already been speaking so we are we are asking that that would continue now into this message god um we are ready to hear from you and i ask that you would bless this time as we talk about the mission that your son gave us to make disciples what an what an awesome mission he gave us. And Lord, help me as I share this message. In the name of Jesus, I pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. amen. See, there you are. See, I can hear you. It's hard to see everyone at the same time because there's people all the way over there. Hey, guys, how's it going? <laughs> there's people over there and there was someone over there. Okay, great. Now we're a little bit more consolidated. I like that. All right, so uh, we're talking about discipleship. Let me, let me tell you what that even means. Um, the word discipleship, it's referring to someone being a disciple. And a disciple is basically a student. Okay, so when you're thinking of the term disciple, think of someone who's a student, which implies that there's a teacher and a student when we're talking about discipleship. And uh, both those things are needed in order to have a discipleship relationship happening, a teacher and a student. And here's the thing, my job, not my job like at New Life Church, I mean my job from Jesus Christ is to make disciples. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that's your job too. You're supposed to be making disciples disciples. And and making disciples is a big reason why I'm even here today. It's why Christina and I said, yeah, let's move to Colorado Springs. Why? Because we were excited about the job of making disciples with young adults. This is a huge deal to us. And uh, the job is not making moments, though I love making moments. I love creating spaces where we can encounter the presence of God. I, I, I love that, but that's not the job Jesus gave me. Uh, it, those moments are supposed to support the job that Jesus gave me. And, and I love creating moments, but that's not my job. And I love creating connections. Man, we're gonna be talking about in a couple of weeks what it means to build community and how we're gonna build connections with each other and relationships. I love all that stuff, but that's not my primary job. That's supposed to support my primary job. And my primary job is not just to open opportunities for all you guys to serve the Lord. All those things are great. And they're part of our values here. Clearly we care about them, but My job is to make disciples. And it's so important for every church to be reminded of the fact that when Jesus gave a mission to his disciples, he said, go therefore and make disciples. So the mission is to make disciples, but here's the thing, we can't make disciples until we are disciples. So one of the hardest things with teaching people, you gotta make disciples, it's like, well, but they need to be discipled first. (laughs) It's just really hard to say, hey, go do it. Go replicate yourself. And you're like, I I don't really know what that means yet. And that's that's okay if that's you. And you're like, I don't really know what that means. You're in a great place. We're just getting started here, okay? This is week three of the relaunch of New Life Young Adults. So we're just getting started. And I'm really glad you're here because what we're about to enter is entering into this season of focused discipleship where we're going to be discipled. And the hope is that will lead us to make disciples someday. Now, let me tell you, discipleship isn't linear. So don't think of it as a career where you go to college, you get your undergrad, that's your prerequisite for a master's, which is your prerequisite. If you wanna get like super in debt, you can get your PhD and like, all those things are prerequisites. So that's what I mean by linear. You go from left to right, you know, checking off the courses. Discipleship isn't always linear. It, 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 and I love that about it. There are some topics in God's word that as you're learning them from Jesus, there are some things where it's like, I've had people say, hey, what does this mean then? And I'm like, well, in that case, I actually need you to understand you know, X, Y, so that you can understand Z. But the vast majority of the time, you can actually just dive in based off where you are in life. And I love that about discipleship. And Jesus does this all the time when he's discipling people, when he's teaching them, what does he do? He's, he meets them where they're at in life. And then the, the where they're at in life becomes the on-ramp into discipleship. It becomes the on-ramp into him being their teacher and them being the student. So check this out, check this out. This is what Jesus does. He he comes to earth and he spends 30 years, and then after 30 years, he kind of launches into his ministry. Okay? And he he starts calling now his disciples. He, he's calling them to be his disciples. And that's where um, he, he starts this process in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. I have it on the screen. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. So um, first notice that phrase that Jesus says, follow me. That was significant to Simon and Andrew. That's not like what we're thinking uh, physically, like follow me, of course it meant that, but it meant something to them, to their you know, Jewish upbringing. Their, what, what they would have understood is this is a guy who had a reputation already of interpreting God's law. Because you remember Jesus like when he was a kid and his mom lost him and they found him in the synagogue. Anybody remember that story? There's this part where Jesus is clearly like well-versed in the word of God and he begins to interpret it. Everyone's blown away by this Jesus um, and uh, and so now he's thirty years old. So clearly he has a reputation. And when, when he is a rabbi, which just means a teacher, he's a he's a teacher to come uh, that comes and says the words, "Follow me." What he's saying is, "Come, be my student. Come, be in my class." That's what Jesus is saying, and that's the invitation to the disciples: is "Come, follow me. Come, follow Jesus. Let him be your teacher." And, uh, and that's what they do. They immediately left their nets and followed him. So let me just share with you three things about discipleship. Uh, real simple today. Three things that it, what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, it's gonna involve these three things. First, you see it right there in that passage I just read. The first point is that you need to leave your way behind. Discipleship, it, it begins with a leaving. <laughs> We're gonna talk about what we embrace, what we fill our life with. But first you have to leave things behind, and specifically your way, because you have a way of living. And maybe you didn't know this, but every single one of you, you have a way of living. And it's built off of uh, the things you value, the the things you care about, the things you prefer not to care about, all those things. Each one of you has a set of values, and that is your way of living. That's your way of life. And maybe you're like, wanting to argue with me during the sermon, you're like, no, I'm I'm more of one of those people that like, life comes to me. I let life come to me. (laughs) Well, if that's you, I would still argue, you chose that. You still made a choice to be that kind of person. That's your way of life. And being a disciple of Jesus means you're leaving your way of life behind. You have to leave that behind. And uh, so here specifically, Simon and Andrew, they leave their nets. So they're leaving what they were doing. They're leaving... Uh, their profession to follow Jesus. And right after this passage, then Jesus calls James and John and they leave Zebedee, which is dad. <laughs> they leave dad, that's what the scripture says. They, they, to follow Jesus, they leave their father to be able to follow Jesus. So there is a cost to what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm not trying to hide this cost from you. And the reason I'm not trying to hide it is because Jesus never tried to hide it. This is so clear in scripture that there is, there is a price to pay, there's a, a cost to following him and that cost is what you're gonna leave behind. Um, Luke chapter 14, I have this on the screen, it, it, it's where Jesus talks specifically about this. He says, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet great, um, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And then listen up, here's the conclusion of this, of what Jesus is saying. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now this is strong language, and and this is gonna be more shocking to your and my ears probably than other people, because honestly, our generation in regards to God, in regards to Jesus, it's not viewed with the seriousness that it needs to be viewed. It's viewed a little bit more like an extra thing. Like Jesus can just be another one of your friends on Facebook or or a page that you can like or someone you can follow on Instagram. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm good with Jesus. I like Jesus. No, no, hear Jesus' message. You cannot be his disciple if you do not renounce everything else. Okay, so here's what that means, because I wanna be clear about that. Obviously, the word hate is used there. He says, um, you are to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children. You're like, that sounds really bizarre, why hate? Well, that's because we think of hate as the exact opposite of love. But that's why in the context of the passage, that last verse of what Jesus says is so helpful. That's the best way of understanding what he's saying. He's saying, if any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Here's what happens when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, everything you had, your way of life, means nothing to you compared to what you found in Jesus. That's what it means. It's you're saying, I, I, all that stuff, actually, the Apostle Paul, he would use the term, I count all this as rubbish, as trash. That's what Paul says, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. When I put the two things side by side, they don't even compare. There's nothing like knowing Jesus. And if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to leave your way of life behind. Okay? This this is this is what it means to follow Jesus. You have to leave that behind. So my question to you is what do you need to leave behind? What what in your life is your way of living and, and it just needs to be left in the rearview mirror? Maybe it's your set of priorities, maybe it's the things you care about, and you say this is more important than that, you can leave all that behind today and start embracing the things that Jesus says are valuable. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe you're really proud of the fact that when people think of you, they think of this, that you do this or that you are this, whatever that is, you can leave that reputation behind and strive and, and pray that God would use your life so that people would know you as someone who follows Jesus. What an amazing thing. If everyone in this room was known, had a reputation as that, that person, they, I don't really get it, but they love Jesus. Do you know what God could do with this group of people if that was happening? If we left our reputation and said, all that is trash to us, but we want to embrace Jesus Christ. We want to follow him. We want to be his disciples. So the second question I ask you, first, you know, what do you need to leave behind? But I also have to include this question because notice that Jesus took Simon and Andrew, who were fishermen. And then what does he tell them? He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So what happens there is Jesus is not only... Calling them to leave certain things behind, he's also saying that he's going to convert something for his glory. So he's gonna take their gifting. They were fishermen, that was their skill set. They knew how to do that. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm gonna convert your skill set and I'm gonna turn it into fishers of men. And so, in the same way, there can be that conversion in your life. This is why I'm not telling you guys everybody needs to go home tonight and just quit your job, quit your school, like quit everything. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what needs to be left behind? And what needs to be converted for the glory of Jesus Christ. This is a paradigm shift. You gotta this changes everything about how you think. So when you think of your education, how does God convert your education? Well, now it's yeah, I wanna be an engineer and I'm studying to be an engineer, but that's not exactly what I'm studying to be. I'm studying to be an engineer for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's how I, I'm thinking as a disciple. I'm saying, what What could I possibly use that I'm being trained in for God's glory? And then you just start praying. You say, God, would you open that door? And I'm just telling you, you will see the door open. He's ready and and so that changes your education and it's gonna change your career where you think, yeah, I have this role, I have this job, but my job is to live for the glory of God and I'm going to find ways to witness, I'm gonna find ways to share the gospel, I'm gonna find ways to build relationships, I'm gonna find ways to just express the love that God has for the world and I'm gonna use my career because it's gonna be converted for God's glory. Your education, your career, and the last thing I thought of was your mission. Your mission will be converted to the glory of Jesus Christ. I thought of how, um, I don't know if you've seen this, but there are certain business people, or let's just imagine, uh, hypothetically, like a businessman who started a business and did really well, and then they spend 15 years working super hard, CEO, it's all great, and then they retire, you know what happens? They find that at the end of their mission was just more emptiness. It, It didn't satisfy what their soul was longing for. And what Jesus offers to you and to me is something much greater than money could ever buy. Something much greater than no matter how many buildings you build, no matter how many employees you ever get to oversee, all of that will not satisfy what your soul is longing for, which is to be on mission for the God of this universe. And God offers that to you. Man, I have found that being on mission for Jesus, there is nothing better than that. It it is such a life-altering paradigm to know that yes, I'm leaving this behind, but Jesus is converting my mission to now be for his glory. And that's a game changer. Man, it reminded me of something I had to leave behind when I went to college. I remember this because it was on a day where I just felt really... I don't even know what the right word is. I, I felt kind of like pressed. You guys ever have days like that where you kind of like wake up and you already know it's gonna be a heavy day and then like you spent the whole day, you're like, what's going on? I don't know, I just feel kind of stressed. And it was one of those days for me and I was walking on the campus and uh, and I, I'm thankful to the Lord that it was like so clear what he was doing because as I was feeling that weight, I turned to my left and there was like this prayer chapel that we had on campus. And so I was like, well, I know I'm supposed to go in there. So then I go in there and it's kind of like this cute, I don't know, it looks like a Southern church with like 50 people could fit into it. It was like, you know, really old and smelled really old as well. Um, And so I I went in there and I don't even remember. I think there might've been one person there. There might've not. And I went in and I went right to the front and I just got on my knees before God. (laughs) And I just left, I'd only been one month, this is my freshman year, so I'd only been in the United States for a year. Last week I talked about how I grew up in Mexico. And so I, when I'm 18, I leave the country I grew up in, I leave my family, I leave all my friends, I leave my church, all that. And I'm on my knees before God, and I first just was quiet, and I had nothing to say at first. I just was there inhaling, exhaling, and being in the presence of God. And then after that, I began to tell God just all the things that were on my heart and just why I felt the way that I was feeling and uh, began to wrestle just kind of, what what is it that you're stirring up today, God? And then God spoke to me, and he didn't use an audible voice, though I can tell you this, that if he would have been audible, it wouldn't have been any clearer for me. Um, I know that God spoke to me, and here's what he said. In the quietness of this prayer chapel, God said, Eddie you are proud. (laughs) And I was caught off guard by it. I was like, what What are we talking about right now? Like I was was looking for comfort, I was looking for encouragement and what I got was, Eddie, you are proud. And the Lord in his kindness, he began to kind of rewind the tape for me and go back two, three, four, five years and he showed me that in the years that I had been serving him, there was pride rooted as my motivation. And it's such a crazy thing. It's such a trap of the enemy that you think, well, I'm in ministry. I'm doing things for God. Therefore, my motive motives must be pure. But that's the trap of the enemy because he, he wants to get you to focus on your gift rather than the giver of your gift. And so God uh, began to reveal in my heart that there was pride, <laughs> that I would work and work and work. You know why I was working so hard? Because I wanted people to know that if Eddie did it, it was going to be good. And that's pride. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way Jesus would have taught me. And in God's kindness, he revealed that. And I had a moment, it was September 26, 2006. I still remember the day to this day, why? Because I left something behind that day. And that doesn't mean I've never struggled with pride ever again, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that I've never gone back to that there was a clear leaving of something behind. And I can tell you right now, some of you already sense it stirring right now, even as I'm preaching, you know. You know it's gonna be tonight, right? April 27th, 2021, I want that to be your day where you leave that thing behind. So we are to leave our way behind, that's the first point. Second thing we gotta do is we have to learn the way of Jesus. So we leave this and now we have to learn, not our way, but Jesus's way, uh, the way the way of Jesus. So as you're doing that, let me just give you a a couple thoughts on what does it mean to learn the way of Jesus? So we have specifically the first four books of the New Testament. This is where Jesus is teaching us his disciples things and we have them recorded. And I just want you to think about two things. First, think what did Jesus do? It's like that bracelet, right? That was popular 20 years ago. Um, What would Jesus do, right? Think about what did Jesus do but don't fall into the trap of assuming that every single thing that Jesus did is what you're supposed to do. Well, that doesn't actually pan out. And this is one of the like, tripping points for some people as they start learning the way of Jesus. Well, Jesus told Simon Peter to fish a fish and pull out that fish and then there was gonna be a coin in the fish's mouth and that's how he was gonna pay his taxes. So we're not reading it thinking, oh, that's what it means to be a disciple. So let's all go fishing. We're gonna fish a fish. And then there's gonna be credit cards inside of these fish. And that's how we're gonna pay our taxes this year, right? You see what I'm saying? It's, it's not just what did Jesus do? And then it's like, yeah, I'm doing that. There are definitely things you can learn from Jesus, but I always think it's more important to start with the question, what did Jesus teach us to do? If you can just start reading the gospel and say, okay, is this something Jesus did? Or is this something Jesus is teaching me to do? You learn all the things Jesus taught us to do and the the clarity will start to form around, is this an example of Jesus or is this something Jesus did specifically on the mission that the father sent him on? It will get to be so clear and I just don't want you to get tripped up. So always think about those two questions. What did Jesus do and what did Jesus teach us to do? Because that's the purpose of the gospels. The book of John is the fourth of the gospels. And in chapter 20, verse 30, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, here's the purpose of the book, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You will find the way of Jesus You will find life in his name. He writes these things down. The apostle John writes them down so that you can believe, so that you can find the way of Jesus. This isn't a secret. He's revealed it to you. It's available. You have to learn it though. It's as simple as that. You have to desire to learn it. So we are going to apply the discipleship model that I see in the ministry of Jesus. There was two things that it involved. First, it involved the public proclamation of God's word, God's revelation. That's what we're doing right now. It involves the public proclamation of God's word. And the second thing it involved with Jesus is it involved personal interaction with individuals. Both those things is how Jesus discipled people. And I think we try to split those things up, right? We kind of make it an either-or situation. and That is just not in the Bible. (laughs) Um, Jesus was totally fine with large crowds gathering and hearing a public proclamation of God's word. And Jesus also spent a bunch of time with the 12 and with the three and with the 70. Like he had other groups of people that he was one-on-one interacting with. And it's both those things in discipleship. So just don't don't be fooled into thinking that discipleship can only exist in one of those places. It can exist in the public proclamation of God's word and it can inv- exist in personal interactions with individuals. So how are we thinking about those two things? How is this gonna affect our discipleship process as new life, young adults? Well, let's talk about what I'm doing right now. I'm gonna preach about preaching. <laughs> so uh, with the preaching, when I when I get up here and preach, and there's gonna be other people who get up here and preach, my invitation to you is that you come ready to pay attention to God. Pay attention to what God is saying. No, don't pay attention to me. <laughs> I could care less if you wanna pay attention to me, honestly, but I spend every week and I spend time and I'm like, Lord, what is it you want to say? What is it you want to say? And I give it everything I got. And then I get up here and I preach. And if you come ready to pay attention to God, I'm telling you, you'll hear it. You'll hear it if you come ready to pay attention to God. And then my second practical encouragement is to bring a Bible or download a Bible app because what I want for you Right now we're kind of being a bit more topical in how we're going through things, but last week was a great example. Like we we went through a passage and I want you to have a Bible or an app downloaded so that you can go through the passage with me as I'm preaching. The reason I think that's important is because when it becomes tactile, then it becomes a little bit more memorable. And there's going to be more opportunities for the Spirit to speak to you. For him, he's going to make some things start jumping out. That's what's going to start happening. So when you have your Bible or when you have an app downloaded, you can highlight a verse, you can underline a phrase. And the reason I want you to do that, again, is because that's how you're going to be able to go back to that passage and remember, oh, that's right, I remember when God said that and that happened in a sermon. That's going to be way more meaningful than you remembering any outline or any illustrations. I want you guys to be remembering the things that God taught you. And the last thing is um, what I would call active listening by responding verbally. And uh, we've we've been trying to get this going, and I just want to bring clarity to you. I've asked for some help with like, hey, you know, agree, say amen, say yes. Here's what's behind that. I believe that when you are active listening by verbally responding, it becomes more ingrained in you what God is doing, what God is saying. So here's what I'm not after. I'm not after hype. Like, I'm not just like, oh, we gotta, we gotta stir something up here. No, but I'm telling you, if you are actively listening and responding, you will be able to remember the things that God did during the public proclamation of his word. This is gonna start happening. And for some of you, it's new. And you're like, this is super weird. I don't get this. But if you don't actively listen, then what this will become is just another lecture and you will no longer be a student. You will just be a recipient. I don't want that for you. That's honestly, that's probably not worth your time on a Tuesday night, but it's worth your time to become a student of God's word, to, to be following him. And so that's why I'm trying to encourage you that more and more, and I know right now we're like super spread out, but as we keep going, no matter who's up here preaching, I hope you will try your best to actively listen by responding verbally to the things that are standing out to you. Then, so that's public proclamation of the word. And then the second thing is personal interactions. And I, I, I don't have a lot to share about that tonight, but I do want you to know that there are some big ideas floating around right now on what is that gonna look like for us? What is it gonna look like that we say that it involves personal interactions to be a part of a discipleship process? Because it's not just this. It's not just more preaching. It's not just more public proclamation. There has to be a personal interaction for this to be more like the ministry of Jesus. So we got big ideas. The only reason I'm mentioning this is because while it's in development, I'm inviting you to pray for it. I believe with all my heart a year from now, we're gonna be looking back at these days and say, look at what God did. And we were there before all that happened. We remember the days where we were talking about, oh, it was just the beginning. We were just dreaming. (laughs) And God's invited you into that. So I'm asking you, pray about this. Ask God, say, God, would you put it on our leaders' hearts, on our team's heart, everyone's heart, what is the way that we're going to do the other part of discipleship besides the preaching?" So I'm inviting you guys into that process. So you leave your way behind, second point, you learn the way of Jesus, and then the last thing is you live out the way of Jesus. You live it out, you put it to action. You don't just let it be something you learn, you actually do it. So if you get point one and two of this message and miss point three, I would suggest to you, it's incomplete, (laughs) you can't miss point three. If the way of Jesus is in your head and in your heart, but not in your feet, then you don't even really understand the way of Jesus yet. It's gotta get to your feet, it's gotta come out. It has to be put to action because God says that we're not to be just hearers of the word, we're supposed to be doers. It's a doing thing and I think a lot of times we de-emphasize the doing in discipleship and I think the reason for that is because salvation is not a doing thing. And that's true, I understand that. We're not saved because we did good things. No, we actually do good works because we are saved. It's in response to the work of Jesus Christ. Salvation belongs to the Lord, that's what the scripture says. So God is the one who saves us, But then we start doing things. It doesn't just stop there. We start doing things, and discipleship involves doing things. We we listen to the words of Jesus, and we put our faith in Jesus, and we believe the things he said. And one of the things he said was that if we love him, we're supposed to keep his commandments. That's what he said, if we love him, if we're in a relationship with God, if we have a covenant relationship that he has saved us, he's made us his children, he's made us his people, then we should keep his commandments. It, it, let me illustrate it this way. Let me say, um, uh, I, I came up to one of you guys and I was like, hey, great to meet you. Um, let's, let's have lunch this week. Would, that, you know, would you be up for lunch? And you're like, yeah, totally, let's, let's have lunch. Uh, let me just check my calendar, I'll get back to you later. Great. And then, Crickets. I don't hear anything. And then a week passes. Two weeks pass. And then I see you again. And then I'm like, Hey, what happened to lunch? Are we gonna have lunch? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just got really busy with, with things. But but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get some time. We'll we'll spend some. You know, I'll, I'll figure out my calendar and we'll we'll spend some time in lunch. Then two weeks pass. Three weeks pass. Four weeks pass. Then I come up to you again. And I'm like, Okay. Like, I thought we were gonna have lunch. Like, are we gonna have lunch? And then you're like, Well. Um, Yeah, I I just, I have to check my calendar and then kind of move on from that. Basically, at some point, what's true is you don't want to have lunch with me. You could say it all you want, but you understand what I'm saying, that if it's never put to action, in what sense is it true? In what sense are we being honest in that relationship if all you're just doing is saying it? It never becomes something you do. And so I think for us, like, I think it's awesome that we're saying these things to God in worship, that we're proclaiming these things to him, but if all we do is say it, in what sense is it true? Aren't we supposed to be living these things out? Of course we are, and so my question to you is, does your calendar show that you are living out the way of Jesus? If I could study the exact thing you did day and night and we could write it all down, would we see someone living out the way of Jesus, finding opportunities to share the gospel, finding opportunities just to bless someone? That's what Jesus did. He found people who were in need and he met that need. That's the way of Jesus. And if we studied your calendar, what would we see? (laughs) I'm not trying to shame you into anything. I'm just trying to bring up the point that if you've learned the way of Jesus, if you've left things behind, you have to live it out. You can't just let it stay here and here. It's got to come out of you. You're going to live out the way of Jesus. Amen. So you might be wondering, what's the end game of this ministry that's relaunched? What's the end game of new life, young adults? Because a lot of times when, when you talk to pastors or ministry leaders, they're uh, a lot of times thinking about the question, what do we need to do so that people can show up? And honestly, people get really beat up over thinking about that question, right? It's almost like now a bad thing to think of like, what do we need to do so that people will show? And uh, and I actually think it's an important question to ask, and I'm gonna make my point why I think that's an important question, but there are people who are like, no, we don't wanna be about that, we don't wanna be about you know, trying to get people just, just to come. You know what we're going to be about? We want to ask the question, what do we need to do to get people to grow? Like, that's what we're going to be all about. We're going to be, you know, about growing people, about discipling people. I think that's an, a very important question too. But here's my point. How are you going to get someone to grow if they're not even here? So why are we so angry at the person who's like, man, I just want to figure out how do I get people to show? Because once they show, then I can get them to grow. Okay, so in the heart of the person who wants a disciple, that's why it's so important. Like, yeah, I wanna get people to show up so that they they can grow, but the end game of this ministry is not even to get you to grow. The end game of this ministry is going to be to get you to go. Here's what this means. I I want you to to find a home here. I want you to grow. I want you to find all these things, community, all the things we're talking about, but where it's leading is towards ascending. I don't have you for the rest of your life. I don't want to have you in this ministry for the rest of your life. There's gonna come a day where you're gonna go. And that's what I'm thinking about. Because even the ministry of Jesus, it it went on for three years and it all led up to ascending. In, In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending. That's where it goes. Jesus says, just like the father sent me, I am now sending you. How did the father send the son? Well, he sent them from heaven to earth. The father sent the son from home to a foreign land. So here's what's coming. I, like I said, I want you to find home here. I want you to find community. But where this is leading is, you're gonna be going into a foreign land someday. And I want you to be ready for that day that just like Jesus was sent from splendor to humility, you would be ready for whatever it is that God is going to send you to be. See, I have a vision for sending mature disciples out of this ministry and into the lifeblood of this church and into the lifeblood of this community and into the lifeblood of this city. And and I only get to have you guys for a set of years. And I don't know when it's gonna be time to send you out. I don't know that. That's where the Lord's gonna bring clarity to you. This is why we kind of give like a window of age because my goal is more than the age, I really want to disciple you. I want you to be ready to be sent out and to do work for Jesus Christ and for you to make disciples. So if the Lord does something here awesome in the next few years, if you can't tell, I believe it's coming. I believe he's about to do something awesome here. But if he does that, the goal isn't to extend your time here indefinitely. The goal is to send you out. We are going to be about discipling the next group of Youth leaders, the next group of pastors and small group leaders and counselors and worship leaders and visionaries and missionaries and teachers and creators and artists and thinkers and doers and so much more. But before I can get you to go, I got to get you to grow. And before I can get you to grow, I got to get you to show. So here is the reason why I've asked for you to make a commitment to come. Not because we need numbers, not because I I have to care about all these things. No, 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 because if I can get you to show and if you can commit to that, now there's an opportunity for you to grow. And once I can get you to grow, now you can start thinking about the concept of going and being on mission for Jesus. For some of you, that seems so far away. And I'm telling you, I'm just glad you're here because it's gonna start here. Up your commitment to show up and say, Lord, this is where I'm gonna start. I'm just gonna be here, I'm gonna be present. And with that commitment to be present, you just watch how the Lord's gonna start opening the door for you to grow. So here's what I leave you with. Three applications. It's the points of the message because I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would convict you, would show something to you tonight. And I believe it's gonna fall into one of these three categories. Maybe the question is, what do you need to leave behind? You need to leave something behind tonight. I'm not going to give you a list of all those things it might be, I believe the Lord has already spoken that to you. The question is, are you gonna say yes? Are you gonna leave that behind here tonight? Or maybe you need to commit to learn the way of Jesus where you've been around church and you've been at many things, but there's not been that personal commitment of saying, I want to know it. I want to personally know the way of Jesus. I want it for myself. Maybe that's you. Or maybe that third point resounded in your heart. You need to live out the way of Jesus. There's something there that God has said, hey, you know it. The problem isn't that you don't know it. The problem is you don't do it. So we're gonna end today with just making this a place where God can do work in your heart. So whatever it is, leaving something behind, committing to learn the way of Jesus live out the way of Jesus. If God is pressing you right now, I'm gonna invite you to make a physical representation of the fact that you're responding to God and saying yes. So we got plenty of room, this is a huge room, There's plenty of room in the row in front of you. We can open up the front of the church here and I'm gonna invite you to come and kneel. Kneel because it's your way of showing God, God, I'm submitting to what you've just revealed. I'm saying yes to that. I'm saying yes to leaving that behind. I'm saying yes to committing to learning the way of Jesus. I'm saying yes to living out the way of Jesus. And so I just wanted to create that space for you. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is pressing on you, you come, you can kneel. You can also stand and sing. The worship team is gonna sing over us. And let's just make this a holy moment. Holy as in set apart. Not like the rest of our moments during the day. Let's make this a moment committed to the work of the Lord. So you can come now and kneel as the worship team leads us.